know, we're starting a new series called Refresh, and I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Will you do that? And uh, will you do this? Welcome all of our online church family that's joining us around the world. Isn't that great? And we have church family everywhere, not just here in the room. As we, we begin this series, Refresh, I want us to read this theme verse together in Acts chapter 3. Let's hear you loudly. You ready? Reading together. Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. God wants to refresh you in 2018. I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. We ask that you would breathe upon this church as we begin 2018. Breathe upon every home, upon every life, and bring your refreshing. Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, refresh me in Jesus' name. And won't somebody say amen? Amen. You may be seated today. Well, welcome to the very first nine o'clock service at Higher Vision. We've changed our times. It's great to have you here today. Let me ask you a question. How many have ever gone through the holiday funk? You know what I mean? You put on a few extra holiday pounds. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? Anybody else? Right? And you feel unproductive. You're out of routine. Things, you just feel funky. In fact, you feel what they call down in the doldrums. How many have ever heard that word? Well, the doldrums is a word which means, if you define it, it means a state of inactivity, stagnation, or depression. But what you may not know is that doldrums is actually a sailing term. And what it refers to is a zone or an area on the globe. You see, the way the world turns on its axis, the top half of the globe, it has trade winds and currents that all move in one direction. The bottom half of the globe have trade winds and currents that move in the opposite direction. And in the center, in this area or zone, because the winds move one way on one part and one way on the other, it's called the doldrum zone and there is no wind. In fact, back in the day when we didn't have motorized boats, you had to make sure you knew where that area was by the equator because if you had a boat that was powered by the wind and you ended up in the doldrum zone, you were going to die because you couldn't get out. There was no force, no wind to refresh you, no wind to empower you to get to the other side. And you know what? I want to ask the question. How many here have ever gone through a season of life where you just felt like you were in the doldrum zone? Well, I believe God wants to get you out of that zone. He wants to breathe on you and refresh you so that you can step into what God has for you. How many want to step into what God has for you? So I want to help you get out of the doldrum zone, and I believe refreshing is what will do it. Now, let me say, if I'm going to help you, I want you to know something. It's not going to happen overnight. And if you'll stay with me, and you'll trust me, and we'll work together on this, I believe in time. You know, they say that it takes 21 days to start a new habit. So over the, the next season, as we go through this series, it may not happen today, but if you'll stick with what we're learning and what we find out from Scripture, I believe it will help you to get out of the doldrum zone, to get out of that funk, that God is going to refresh you and take you to places you have never been before. How many would say amen to that? So I want to give you the bumper sticker for how you and I can be refreshed. This is the, the, the how for us in this process of being refreshed. And it's simply this. Prayer 
refreshes you. Prayer refreshes you. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at our theme verse. And if you look at our theme verse, it's interesting because it shows us this. Paul, or, um, Peter is talking to the, the church and the people that are in this particular setting. And he tells them this. He says, if you'll pray through that prayer by being in the presence of the Lord, you're going to be refreshed. Now, the specific prayer is repentance. He says, if you repent and turn to God. But basically what he says is prayer will refresh you. Because you're in the presence of the Lord. We know that the presence of the Lord is great, right? In Psalms it tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy. And Nehemiah tells us that um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the bottom line is if you need the strength to get you out of the doldrums, it's going to be because you're in the presence of the Lord. And prayer refreshes you. In fact, it's interesting. I was... Um, um, Thinking about this idea, and I, I came up with three things I want to talk about the next three weeks. In fact, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to preach on for three weeks. Week number one, and this is our big point, is if prayer refreshes us, then what kind of prayer should we do? The first kind of prayer we're going to focus on today, and you need to write this down, is that you need to learn how to pray in a row or corporate prayer. You're sitting in rows today. So we're going to talk about corporate prayer. So pray in a row. Next week, we're going to learn how to pray in a circle. We're going to talk about small group prayer and prayer partners, things like that. And then we're going to end with pray in private. But often we focus on how to pray in private, and we don't really talk about how to pray corporately or how to pray in a circle. And so we're going to wait and talk about private prayer, and I'm going to help you to carry that forward the rest of the year. But I want to begin with this concept of praying in a row or praying corporately together. Y'all with me? All right. So, point number one, pray in a row. Write that down. And we're going to talk about that. You know, let me think about it. Most of us, when we think, man, I need, some ref I need a break. I need to get refreshed. How many of you have ever had one of those thoughts? But normally you don't think, so I need to go to a corporate prayer meeting. I need to get to church for a corporate prayer meeting to get refreshed. Right? Well, you know, interestingly enough that prayer together corporately in a row, I'm telling you, there's refreshing in it. In fact, I was talking to someone last night after the service or before the service, I forget, and uh, we were talking about going to corporate prayer on, in the morning at 6 a.m. And they were saying, you know, the first day we started off, we were all excited and we got up and, and we went to prayer. And then by the last day, we were like, we got to get up. But you know, it's crazy. Even though we were getting up and tired and didn't feel that great, when we left prayer, we felt great. And you know what's interesting? I haven't had the chance really to start working out yet. And normally at the beginning of the year, we try to work out and all of that. But you know what? I have had more energy. I have been full of just zeal. And, and, and it's all been because of corporate prayer. Because I'm going to tell you, the greatest way for you to experience refreshing is not to change your diet, not to start working out. It's to learn how to pray because prayer refreshes you. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So what I want to do today is I want to show you the first corporate prayer event that happened in the New Testament church. And you're going to see through this some interesting things. In fact, it's interesting because this corporate prayer event had 120 people in it. It was made up of the disciples of Jesus' personal family, his stepbrothers, and his 
a mom were there and all of the women that supported the ministry. Do you know the average church in America is 80 people or less? So this was a big church. And they were coming together for corporate prayer. Jesus had ascended to heaven, and before he ascended, he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait for this promise that I'm going to give you. And that's where we pick up on our story, our passage today. It's found in Acts chapter 1. And I want to take some time and talk through this a little bit. Acts chapter 1 says, these all, now who are these? The people I just mentioned to you. They'd come back to Jerusalem. They went into the upper room, and they began, and they committed to corporate prayer. In fact, they did it for 40 days straight. Watch what happens. These all continued with one accord in what? In prayer. They're committed to prayer and supplication. Now we go to chapter 2. After they'd been there together for a while, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. This is kind of referring back to the fact that on the day of Pentecost, they were still there. They were still praying. So they're in this corporate prayer gathering, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, this passage, when most theologians look at it and when people teach on it, what we tend to focus on is the obvious theological point, which is this was the release of the Holy Spirit to the church. This was the promise that God had talked about. Jesus had said to come and wait for. But oftentimes, we miss the less obvious principle, which... First of all, the word spirit there is the word pneuma in the Greek, and here's what it means, breath of God, wind of God. And what we end up missing is that the wind of God, which refreshed the church, and I'll show it to you in a second, which refreshed and empowered the church and took them out of the doldrum season, out of the doldrum zone, happened because they committed to corporate prayer. That's the part we look over. We focus on the tongues and we forget the prayer. And the bottom line is that prayer refreshes you. You see, the church, what had happened is Jesus had died. And when he died, they went into the doldrum zone. And they were discouraged and they were afraid and they were depressed. And then what happens? Jesus shows up and says, listen, go back to Jerusalem and begin to pray. And as they do, God breathes on the church. And then what happens? Peter stands up. In that upper room, he preaches, 3,000 people get saved, and the church is thrust forward into a brand new era and brand new season. God refreshed his church because prayer refreshes you. Corporate prayer released the refreshing wind, the power to thrust them out of their doldrum zone. Now, if you look at the Bible, the Bible is filled with calls to prayer corporately together. So as I was thinking about this topic of prayer, I had a conversation with someone one time and he said, you know, pastor, I came to a prayer gathering and he said, as we were praying corporately together, it was amazing because I saw you up on the stage and you were praying out and then I looked around the room and I saw all these Christians and how many would say that if you're a Christian, you should probably know how to pray? He said, and I looked around the room and I noticed at this event that it was like a lot of people were standing there not really knowing what to do. As I thought about that, I'm like, okay, God, we talk all the time about how do we pray when we're privately praying on our own, but we don't ever talk about how do we pray when we get together corporately. So I want to talk to you and I want to use this passage as an example to show us what corporate prayer should look like. Is that okay? 
So we're going to learn how to corporately pray together as a church because if corporate prayer refreshes us, how many want to move out of your doldrum zone? You ready? So I'm going to give you three big ideas of what it means to pray together. How do we pray corporately or how do we pray in a row? Ready? Write this down. It's going to freak some of you out, but here we go. Ready? Corporate prayer should be loud. Come on, I need a loud amen. Now, I'm freaking some of you out. Some of you have come from a Catholic church or Episcopal church or no church background. The Pentecostals are the ones saying amen, by the way. (laughs) Prayer should be loud. What's interesting is corporate prayer in this passage, it, it was interesting because it was loud. And when we read this passage about the the Holy Spirit coming and people speaking in tongues. The Bible says that when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And if you read through the passage, a bunch of people from the city heard the sound and they came and they began to hear them praying in tongues, which it wasn't unknown tongues. There are two types of tongues in the Bible, known tongues, and that's speaking in a language that you don't know, but it's a known language. It'd be like God hitting me where I started speaking in Spanish. And that happened to my brother. He was praying for someone in Brazil And as he was praying for someone in Brazil, he was praying in tongues, but what he didn't know is he was actually praying in Portuguese. And God spoke to someone about their call to mission as he prayed in tongues. That's a known tongue. And then the Bible talks about an unknown tongue. And that's when we pray in tongues, but it's something that people don't understand, but God does. So they begin, and what we do in this passage is theologically, we always focus on the tongues, but we forget about the loud Because part of what this passage says is when they came together corporately and prayed, they didn't just pray in tongues, they prayed all at the same time really loud. I want to tell you that there's some truth there because when we pray corporately, maybe God's saying you need to pray together, you need to pray at the same time, and you need to pray loud. Now, in our culture, What do we do if we get together for an event and something's happened and we want a prayer? What do we call it? A moment of... Because if we're going to gather together and we're going to have a prayer, then let's have a moment of silence. Or here's the other one. We'll let someone on stage pray and everybody will listen to it. Maybe that's the background that you came from. Or maybe your background you came from is, well, prayer is reverent and so you're quiet and it's very reserved. And let me just say there are appropriate moments for someone to pray and us listen. There's appropriate moments for quiet meditation in prayer. And there's also appropriate moments for what we call conversational prayer. Some of you grew up in churches where you get together in groups and it's all conversational prayer. What do you mean by that? Well, you get in a group and one person prays and then they stop and the other one picks up the conversation and then they pray and then the next person prays and it's kind of like popcorn prayer. (laughs) It's conversational prayer. But what we see in this passage is it wasn't like that on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when they were called together by God to start the church corporately in prayer, everybody prayed out loud at the same time. It was loud. It was chaotic. And I got to tell you, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and we did Pentecostal prayer. Anybody know? Let me ask you a question. How many of you came from a Pentecostal background? Wave at me. All right. How many of you came from more of a traditional non-Pentecostal background? Wave at me. How many of you just have had no background in church at all? Wave at me. Okay, awesome. We have all all different types. When I grew up, it was loud and chaotic in prayer when we'd have corporate prayer. In fact, we'd always joke because my dad would lead prayer and he was a Pentecostal preacher. And so we had 
Casper the ghost praying with us every week. What do you mean by that? Well, Pat, my dad would get up and start praying. He'd be like, God, in the name of Jesus. He had this big old Holy Ghost vibrato. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like Casper the, the ghost. Ooh. And everybody was praying out loud, and it was loud, and people were walking around, and people were shouting, and people were praying. Pentecostal prayer. And I begin to think about it. Why? Do people talk loud? You know, um, there are loud talkers. Anybody ever met a loud talker? Anybody ever met a quiet talker? Believe it or not, I'm a quiet talker. Some of you are like, yeah, sure, Pastor Jared, it's really... No, I'm telling you, when I had problems with my voice years ago, I had vocal nodules, and, and so I had to go to vocal therapy, and the vocal therapist taught me to talk quiet so, when I'm, so that it would save my voice. So if you're with me and you hang out with me, I'm not super gregarious. I'm real quiet. And, and a lot of times we'll be in a restaurant and I'll be talking and people are like, huh? What? what? Speak a little louder. There's quiet talkers and they're loud talkers. And you know, I have a cousin who's a, not a cousin, a brother-in-law who's a loud talker. And you know what? He's Italian. <laughs> and everything he says is loud. He's like, hey, Jared, how are you? What's the matter for you? You know what I'm saying? He's, he's Italian. Give me some pizza. He, he's Italian. Now begin to think about it. Why do people talk loud? Well, usually people talk loud because they're invested in what they're saying. They're passionate about what they're saying. And for some of you, when I begin to talk about corporate prayer being loud, you went to say, are you sure? Well, let's take a look at the Bible in a passage that talks about prayer. In fact, how many would like to have your prayers be powerful and effective? All right, so let's go real quick. And let's read James chapter 5, verse 16. Now, I'm talking about one of the aspects of prayer. This doesn't cover everything, and there are different types, but one of the things it does tell us is that the effective, what's the second word? That was kind of weak. Come on, we're talking about loud. Let's try this again. The effective what? Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word fervent there, if you look in the Greek and Latin, it means, first of all, the, the Greek word is energeo, which is kind of like energy energized, active. So an energized, active prayer, the Latin word, here's what it means, to boil or to burn. How many know that if you want the water to boil, you have to put some energy and, and power and fire underneath it to create the force to energize it so that it'll boil? And today, what I'm trying to emphasize is not that you just need to be loud, but what I'm trying to say is that when you pray, is there passion behind your prayer? When you're praying for your children, when you're praying for healing, when you're praying for the city, when you're praying for situations, sometimes we just sit back with this mindset of, well, God, if you want to, or you can, or I believe it's possible, but no, God says the effective, loud, boiling, passionate prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. I mean, no, you don't have to be loud to be passionate. But what God is looking for is passion because here's kind of the big thought I want to focus on for just a minute. And it's simply this. When it comes to prayer, if prayer refreshes you and God's called us to be together in corporate prayer, then can I tell you this? It's really simple. It might sound like a no-brainer, Scooby-Doo, uh -huh, no-duh, raggy, right? Prayer is meant to be heard. Prayer is meant to be heard. Prayers need to be heard. And I'll tell you who needs to hear them. You ready? Let's just make the list. Number one, who needs to hear your prayers? God needs to hear your prayers. Do you know the Bible says that God has created a book 
for each of us. It says this in the book of Psalms. And in that book, he's written down the things that you say. And my question is, what's in your book? Is it just complaining? Is it just fear? Or is your book filled with prayers calling out to God? When God opens your book, is he called? Is he moved to respond to you? Because God wants to hear your prayers. What does the Bible say? We have not because we ask not. Prayers are meant to be heard. God needs to hear us pray. Come on, if we're a Christian, God has said, I want you to call upon my name. Prayers are meant to be heard. Amen? Not only are prayers meant to be heard by God, but who else needs to hear our prayers? Your family needs to hear your prayers. When was the last time your children heard you pray? When was the last time your spouse heard you pray? Our family needs to hear our prayers. I got to tell you, one of the things that I love is that when I pray for my children and I pray over my family every single day, I'll tell you what I pray. I repeat the prayer that I heard my father pray over me for years. You want to know what my father prayed over me? I know my, my father's prayers because prayers are meant to be heard and my father prayed out loud. Here's what he prayed. This is what I pray. And I prayed over often for people when God brings them to my heart. If I want to pray over Joe Jakes, I'll pray, Lord, I pray that he would be strong in adversity and he would be humble in success. I pray that you would expand his territories and bless him like you blessed Jabez. God, may that he not cause harm, but may he be a blessing. God, I pray that he'd walk with favor before God and he'd walk favor before man. Listen, I pray those prayers. You know why? Because my father prayed those prayers. Oh, that you and I, when we die, our legacy isn't a few dollars that we left in the bank, but the legacy that we left are the words that have been deposited in the hearts of our families and our children because they have heard our prayers. Because prayers have meant to be heard. Some of you are like, he's an angry elf. You know, he's a... No, I'm a passionate elf. I'm passionate because I know the power of prayer. Prayer will refresh you. Prayers are meant to be heard by our family. You know who else? People need to hear our prayers. Your friend who has cancer needs to hear your prayers. The person in the cubicle across from you who's going through a divorce needs to hear your prayers. People in your city that are struggling need to hear your prayers. Prayers are meant to be heard. On the day of Pentecost, they showed up and they looked at each other and they said, this is amazing because they're praying in a language they don't know and they're declaring the wonderful works of God. Imagine that 120 people all prayed at the same time loud enough that a crowd of 5,000 heard them praying those prayers over them. Now, I'm not just saying loudness for loudness, but I'm telling you there's something about corporately lifting our voice together because not only does God need to hear our prayers, not only does your family, but I'm telling you the people around you, our city, our leaders, people need to hear your prayers because prayer is meant to be heard. Say amen. amen. Let me give you another one real quick and keep moving. The enemy needs to hear your prayers. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And the Bible says that even Jesus, when he went through temptation, he spoke his, his, his declarations to the devil. The devil tempted him and said, you're, you've been fasting, you're, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. And he looked at him and he responded in prayer. And he said, God shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then he finally says, get out of here, Satan, you have no authority here. The enemy needs to hear you declare that no weapon formed against you will prosper in every tongue that rises up against you. The enemy needs to hear you declare 
the promises of God. The enemy needs to hear you declare that I take authority over you. You have no place in this home. I build a hedge of protection around this family. And the enemy, whatever plans you've established for them is not going to happen. I, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. That's what, the, that's what the scripture says. The Lord rebuke you. The devil needs to hear your prayer. Y'all with me? Can I tell you somebody else that needs to hear your prayer? You need to hear your prayer. You need to hear you praying. I believe your word, God, which says I can do all things through Christ Jesus so I can make it through this trial. I can, I can launch this new business. I can lead my family in the ways of God. You need to hear your own prayers. You need to hear yourself pray. I am more than a conqueror through him that loves me. You need to hear yourself pray. I can give to the kingdom of God because, Lord, you provide all my needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Prayer together in a row refreshes you and prayer corporate prayer should be loud you all with me let's look at this story now and let's learn a couple other things about prayer not only in this new testament passage did they pray loud but here's the, the second thing corporate prayer should be united corporate prayer should be united let's go back to the passage in acts chapter 114 which says they all continued with one accord in prayer Here's what's interesting about the, the phrase one accord. It's a Greek phrase which means to be unanimous, to be of one mind. In other words, to come into agreement. One of the reasons why I encourage you to be loud by saying amen is not because I'm an insecure preacher. I know some of you, maybe you're new to this and, and I'm preaching and you're thinking, well, he just needs us to say amen or he's not going to be able to finish the message? Is he having a hard time today? No, here's what the scripture says. Every promise of God is yes and amen. So the promises of God come when you and I agree and grab a hold of them and say, the word amen is I agree. And there's something that happens. And the reason I have you say amen is because I'm trying to encourage you subconsciously to grab a hold and say, I agree with what God is saying in this passage for me. But not only that, with prayer, you and I are called to come in agreement. That when we pray and we say, hey, we're going to pray this particular area. That's why in our prayer guide, we have things that you can follow. So that as a church together, we're in unity and there's power on the day of Pentecost when they came together in agreement. What happened? God released the Holy Spirit and he breathed on them and he got them out of their doldrums. God wants to take you out of your doldrum. He wants to move you forward into his promise for you. Because corporate prayer should be loud. Corporate prayer should be united. And let me give you the last one. Corporate prayer should be, this one can catch you off guard, physical. Should I break into let's get physical, physical? Maybe not. Maybe not. I'll stay away from that. Sorry. I don't even know if that, that's the other guy, right? That's, that's John Travolta. Okay, I just... Same time period, though. Same time period. Pastor, are you serious that you're telling us prayer should be physical, that corporate prayer should be physical? Yeah. In fact, I'll show you some examples in the Bible. In fact, there are tons of examples in the Bible that we pray, corporately as well as individually, that there should be a physicality to our prayer. Can I show you? Y'all with me? Let's look at the first one. When we pray, the Bible says we should lift hands in prayer. Some of you are like, why is the pastor always saying, lift your hands? Lift your hands. I'm tired. I don't want to lift my hands. I had a long week. 
Well, here's why. Because Paul, the apostle, when he's teaching on prayer, look what he says. 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire, therefore, that men, and it's not, this is not a pass for all the ladies. He's talking about everyone. I desire, therefore, that everyone prays everywhere. In other words, whenever we gather together everywhere around the world, we should be lifting holy hands. So our prayer, when we pray, we should lift our hands in prayer. Now, have you ever thought about why God wants us to lift our hands in prayer? And and as I was thinking about that, I thought about the human body. You know, God made the human body a certain way, right? How many know that when the human body walks, God created us so that our hands, they move, right? Your hands swing when you walk. How many figured that out? How many know some people when they walk, it's it's out of control? (laughs) But let's say... It's weird when they don't move. Have you ever seen someone do that? It's like you're freaking out. Okay, please move your hands. Crazy thing is, it's something that God created as part of the process. Somehow, now I know you burn more calories, it it makes you, I don't know, but it just, God said, when you walk, this is what's supposed to happen. And when it comes to prayer, it's the same thing. God's saying that when you pray, this should happen. Now, why? There's all kinds of reasons. I'm going to give you my my own personal reasons. One is because the the cherubim on the Holy of Holies, their wings were lifted. And the Bible says that the presence of the blue flame of God resided between the lifted cherubim. And so maybe when we lift our hands, it's just that invitation, a reminder to God to say, I want to sit right there. I'm going to be right there. Or maybe it's because the, the thing that identifies you from anybody else in the world is on the end of your hand. It's called a fingerprint. So when you lift your hands, it's like checking in and getting the fingerprint scan. And you say, God, I'm here. And God says, aha, I see you. Or maybe it's because like kids, when you're ready to give them a cookie, what do they do? And God's wanting us to be in a position to receive. I don't know, there's all kinds of things that God could be doing. But what I do know is that God says, if you're going to pray corporately, be loud, do it together all at the same time, be united in it, and be physical. Lift your hands. Can I show you another one? You also with me? Let me show you another one. I know this is a different message on prayer. I've never heard anyone preach this before. Um, So either I'm weird or God is doing something good. Come on, let's go. Here's the second one. Laying on of hands in prayer. One of the ways that we pray is to lay our hands on people in prayer. Let's read the passage. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Taking a little bit of oil and laying their hand on you and anointing you. We even know that in the book of Hebrews it says that that one of the foundational principles of the faith is the ministry of laying on of hands. It says that in Hebrews 6. Now, why does God want us to do that? Maybe it's because it's a point of contact. God wants you to know that you're a conduit, and when you're praying for someone and you lay your hands on them, you know that God does it, but you're a part of the process. How many know God wants us to be a part of the process? Maybe it's when you feel the touch of someone in prayer, it's to know and be reminded that God is touching you, that God is with you, that God is connected to you. I don't understand it all, but I know that God says when you pray, lift your hands. When you pray, lay hands on people in prayer. Let me show you another one, and that is kneeling in prayer. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 95, verse 5, it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. 
So when we worship and when we pray, we should kneel. Sometimes in a worship setting or sometimes in a prayer setting, you'll see people kneel down before God. Well, that's, it's a sign of humility. Maybe God wants us to be physical that way because he's wanting us to humble ourselves. It's easy to stand like this, but our bodies, it begins to indicate what our heart is saying is that, God, I come before you and I humble myself in prayer. I want to give you another one. And we'll end with this, and that is joining hands in prayer. To join hands, sometimes you'll see, and we're going to talk about this next week in prayer circles, because you don't just pray in a row, you pray in a circle. But sometimes in the course of a service, we'll say, grab somebody's hand, we're going to pray. Why do we do that? Because it says in the book of Matthew, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you, for where two or three Gather together as my followers, I am there among them. And what this tells us, the idea of agreement, it's like a contract, the word agreement there. And when we come into a contract with each other, in modern day, what do we do? We write a contract with a lawyer. But in the culture in the days of Jesus, many of those contracts were, were done like this. You agree? And so by shaking hands, by agreeing together in prayer, what we're saying is, God, I come into contract with you. I come into agreement with my brother and sister that what we're calling out in your name, that God, you're willing and you're able to do anything because with God, all things are possible. You know what I want to do today as we bring this service to a close? We've been talking about refreshing, that corporate prayer refreshes you. Can I give you three powerful things that will happen when the refreshing wind of God begins to touch you as you begin to be a person of prayer. And I want to invite you out to our prayer meetings on 6 a.m. on Sunday. I'm starting on Monday morning, Thursday night for Unite Prayer. Can I tell you what happens? In this story, when God refreshes you, here's what happens. You'll start talking differently. The Bible says that when they were refreshed, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. I'm going to tell you, there are things that you'll start saying that you would have never said if the refreshing breeze and power of God hadn't touched you. You'll start saying, my wayward son is coming back to the kingdom. You'll start saying, I can be healed in Jesus' name. You'll start saying things like, with God all things are possible. You'll talk different when the refreshing touch of God touches you. You know the second thing that happens? Not only will you start talking differently, you'll start seeing differently. Because the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost came and they began to speak in tongues, Peter stands up and goes, hey, wait a minute. The book of Joel, the prophet, when he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, that's what he was talking about. He saw something that he had never seen before. And I'm going to tell you, there are things that God wants you to see. The Bible says, I has not seen the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You'll start seeing your situations differently. You'll start seeing your trials differently. You'll start seeing the opportunities before you differently. And when you get refreshed, here's the last thing. You'll launch forward on a whole nother level. That the church had grown to 120. And then they came together and they prayed. And as they began to pray corporately, 
God breathed and refreshed them. And what happened? Peter gave an altar call and 3,000 got saved. The church went from 120 to 3,000 in one afternoon. Because when you are refreshed and touched by God, he won't just get you out of the doldrum zone. He'll take you to a place that you have never been before. He'll launch you into new things that you never even thought were possible. God can do exceedingly abundantly above what you could even ask or imagine. Because prayer refreshes you.